So if you can have belief amongst the three of us, then that is self-belief times three. And this was probably never more evident and more beneficial than during COVID. We actually felt sorry for people who were having to be CEOs on their own through that because we, we everyone knows how difficult it was and the decisions you have to make and the business pressures that you're under. And we had three to spread the emotional burden as well as the practical one. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening everybody. I'm Ben Morton and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. Now, this week's episode is somewhat unique in that I'm not joined by one guest, I'm not joined by two, but three, making this our first ever four-way conversation, which, if I'm being totally honest, tested my skills as a podcast host and will probably test those of Fina, my fabulous editor. But it's all a journey and it's all learning, right? So the creative agency Free the Birds has three equal managing partners, Nick Voss, Paul Dominet and Sarah Jones. And together, collectively, they believe that acting alone as a CEO can be quite dangerous because there's no one there to truly sense check your decisions. Instead, they run the agency in partnership with each member contributing their unique expertise and strengths. Nick's skills as a creative director leading major retail projects for Waitrose, Sarah's business acumen having worked with P&G and Coty, and Paul's communication experience with Diageo and Toyota have enabled them to build a different type of agency that is challenging the status quo in more ways than one. We kept the theme of this episode, of this conversation, super focused and really got into the weeds of how they lead and manage their agency on a day-to-day basis with this unique structure. We looked at how they make decisions on a practical level, what they think the secret to their success has been and some of the most surprising benefits it has brought them. Before we get into this episode though, do head over to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com where you can sign up for my increasingly popular 10 for 10 leadership course. It's totally free, it's bite-sized and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I get asked about all the time when I'm coaching, mentoring and training. It also gets consistently great feedback so I would love you to go and check that out as well. But for now, and without any further delay whatsoever, let's get into this week's episode and please enjoy my fascinating, truly fascinating conversation with Nick, Paul and Sarah from Free the Birds. (laughs) 
Nick, Paul, Sarah, it is uh, super cool to be talking to the three of you today on what is the first four-way podcast. As we were just saying off air, this is either going to be a spectacular success or we're going to have all sorts of technical issues and it'll be an absolute nightmare. But either way, I think it will be fun. So a very warm welcome, all of you, to, to the show. Hello. Lovely to be here. Yeah, good to be here. So what I thought we would do, which is something that I'm hoping is going to become a bit of a new tradition for the show, is just starting with a slightly random question just to check in. So the one I thought we'd go with today is, I wonder, can you all remember the first car you ever owned? And if you can, what the registration was? (laughs) (laughs) I'd say it was random. Definitely remember what it was. It was a VW Polo. It was light blue and it had a fantastic ability to let in any rain, which, as I lived in the northwest of England, was a permanent state of affairs. I cannot remember for the life of me what the registration was. Cool. What about you, Nick? I can see you nodding there. Yeah, mine was a, a blue Renault 5. I cannot remember for the life of me what the registration number was. I just remember going, I used to use it to take everyone to college, myself included. Um, and I used to do lots of pickups of friends along the way to go to art college. And when you're picking up friends and stu- not only stuffing them into the car, a little bit of extra pocket money, they also had their easels and their art boxes. So oh, wow. I just have got fond memories of this very full and uh, quite compact Renault 5. Brilliant. I can really picture kind of easels and art boxes all sticking out <laughs> the window as you're driving along. Absolutely. Sarah, what about you? Oh, it was a Renault Scenic and it was grey And it was like a blob. It wasn't full with anything exciting other than car seats and kids. And I think it was a 52 plate, but I can't remember anything else. It was something like YF52, but I can't remember the rest. (laughs) So there's something about these uh, muted colours. Mine was a pale metallic blue Austin Metro that my dad very kindly bought for 750 quid for me when i was 18 it was d442 rmr still remember the number plate very 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 good and it's six months before i blew up the gearbox thinking i was colin mccray driving it (laughs) but do you know what i can remember my dad's brown four cortina and that was ncd 470w wow where did that come from that is that is impressive it is like what the hell? picture it now brown cortina wasn't it the best feeling in the world having your first car yeah it's incredible like the freedom it gave you right yeah you felt like you're king of the road oh my god so good even if you didn't look it <laughs> but we all we all thought we did right we all thought we did in this class you know five i mean it really wasn't anything to look at <laughs> So on, on that note, and before we start stealing listener figures from Top Gear, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's bring it back and start talking about some of the, the stuff I've been so excited to ask you, you guys about. So as I understand it, you operate with a slightly unconventional sort of management structure way, way of working, right? In terms of, I think on the day-to-day, you pretty much operate as having three fairly equal managing partners, so I wonder, like, can you tell us a little bit about how that works in practice and why you've landed upon that, that management structure? I think it's been one of those things that has just naturally happened and making those decisions day to day 
for us, it's very natural. There's something quite powerful about having three of us to um, help make those decisions. No one is alone. We feel very included into the running and the organization of the business. Um, and we get to those decisions very quickly. And that's, that's something that really helps us. I think with the power of three, um, I think that that's something that just has been, uh, as I said, a very natural fit. Um, I think if there was two of us, I think that there may be a pull in different directions. And I think that creates a lot of challenge with some partnerships. Um, but with us, the three of us, it's just one of those things that's clicked in very naturally and is working on a day-to-day basis very successfully. I don't think we ever had any hesitation about this, the way we set up because partly from experience, my previous management role was in a duo. That wasn't healthy in many respects. And I think the guys came from a larger management structure and that wasn't healthy. And three just seems to be very, very natural. There's a rhythm, there's a cadence, there's a dynamic about it, which is capable of holding and containing differing views. But the consensus, which is all that we want to get out of this, is the consensus seems to arrive very naturally. It's not forced. We don't have to pit against each other. It works. And that's not very technical. And we couldn't write a business book about it. But we know it feels right. And I think the important part is we each represent different aspects of the business as well. So whether it's the commercial aspect, the creative, the communications. And we've all got our area of expertise And it blends really well because we've always got the business, you know, the best interest of the business at heart and thinking about what's best for Free the Birds, what looks after the team and and how do we best move forward and and that kind of thing. So it's a very open discussion and we're very, you know, there aren't any egos. So I'm curious as well, though, what was the driver for setting up the way you've got it set up? Was it wanting to get a get away from experiences you'd all had elsewhere so i.e i don't want to create we don't want to create an agency that looks like this or is run like this or was it more a, a clear picture of what it was that you that you wanted because like there's a probably a handful of businesses in the world that are run by maybe co-mds or co-ceos but probably not that many and there's probably even fewer where they're working on something that's approaching sort of free fully equal equal partners so what what was it for you we all come from different agencies different size of agencies network agencies independent agencies that became part of networks so i think probably as we've gone through our careers we've picked out the best the best learnings from different places and thought about how do we want to do it and how can we do it better and how can we do it our way and yeah just really kind of building on that experience going forward the agency was very much set up because we wanted to have our own vision of the company and how it worked. But also, all three of us are quite ego-adverse. Not that we don't all have our egos, but we'd had experiences in our various careers where we'd seen people behave less than selflessly. And there are some people that might believe that in business you have to do that, but we wanted to prove you didn't. And you could succeed by actually having a more empathetic, more compassionate, more inclusive uh, and a more rounded way to manage. And then that you lead by example, don't you? So that's the message we're trying to give off to the people who work with us and our clients, that there is a way of working that doesn't have to be win at all costs 
I don't think any of us had done would have done very well at the on the apprentice. <laughs> yeah. And and do you think you've achieved that sort of aim, Paul, of creating an inclusive business that's run with empathy and compassion and isn't this entirely ruthless when at all costs? I would love to think we have, but we're not the best judges of that. Ask our clients and our staff, really. It seems so, put it that way. It's really important to us to have that built into the foundation of the of the business. Curious as well to come back to something, I think, Nick, you mentioned this, or it might have been yourself, Paul, in terms of how you do go about making some of these decisions. Is it genuine consensus that you try and aim for and achieve when you're making important decisions or do you end up going with majority vote sometimes which is an interesting concept right because with 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 three of you if you go for majority vote and it's an important decision you might have two that are in but kind of a, a third of the partnership here could be actively not on board with that decision so what is what does that look like well you're always guaranteed a result <laughs> true exactly that. that's that's why i think that's why personally it's so yeah. effective because you will get to the result pretty quick and we're absolutely cool with that i think what we're not cool with is if there has been a decision that's been made and we haven't got no awareness of it so it's really really important that uh, everything that we do to shape the business from any aspect, really, that we all have, uh, we discuss that, we have weekly catch-ups, but we get to those decisions really quickly. And I don't honestly think that anyone's noses are put out of joint. There's nodding here. So it's it's one of those things that we just know that uh, we've all had, we all voice our concerns or our um, passions, um, and we will get to that decision straight away. And then we move on. That's why the power of three just works perfectly for us. And it's shared responsibility but it, it really is that we've all got a decision to make and you'll get to that answer pretty quick and then move on. I think as a, as a case in point recently, we're recruiting quite a few people at the moment. And I think in that, in that situation where one of us might meet somebody and like them and think they could work, and then obviously you filter through the, the three of us. And in a couple of, on a couple of occasions, we've not gone with somebody you know, in a vote situation. But I think what happens is that the great thing about having multiple partners is if you're big enough to realise that maybe you should think again, mm -hmm. maybe you should see it a different, from a different perspective, that's really healthy because I think in a single situation, you, the only person you can talk to is in the mirror. You can't really talk, share it with somebody who might have a different perspective because we've all got the same philosophy. We've all got the same desire and but there are nuances to that. I think what we're also very keen on is that when you grow in the business, we're trying to create a personality for the agency. And that means it doesn't come down necessarily to the experience on a CV. It's do they feel like we feel? Do they feel like one of us? And, yeah. and that's where the three of us, it, it is a reflection of our accumulated personalities, I think. So are there any decisions where you've struggled, where you've struggled to, to get to consensus or, or genuinely has it all been, in that respect at least, relatively plain sailing? I can't remember anything where it's been at like two o'clock in the morning and someone's storms out in a hissy fit. <laughs> I, th I think also, I think there's, there's other things where we're, we're big enough to defer to things like, I don't think I would ever 
overall nick on interior decor <laughs> right <laughs> so you each know your strengths right yeah, and yeah. Mine's, mine, mine is not interior decor <laughs> yeah. but i think there's another part as well here which is not being afraid to make mistakes as well and that we we have each other's backs and you know, sometimes you have to take an action or there is a decision to be made. That decision is made. And if over time it proves that wasn't the right decision, then you work to improve it. So I think there is that. Yeah. And there's no sort of, oh, I told you so or whatever else. It's yeah. OK. Right. We're moving forward. We're moving on. And it's always a very positive step forward. You know, it's it's always thinking about the future and the the possibilities and the opportunities and, and how we can build the business and build the team and build the brand of Free the Birds further. So it's always positive, even if, you know, decisions have to be made and it's slightly tense or whatever else, or, you know, things turn out differently to how you think they're going to turn out. So it's always good learning and good experience and good development for next time. The reason I'm continuing to to fish, if you like, on this one is that, I think it's really rare in any team, no matter how you are structured and what the ownership of the organization might be, to find a leadership team or set of managing partners who can get to decisions and consensus decisions where everybody is totally engaged or at least able to very fully disagree yet yet commit like that's really rare so i'm i'm so intrigued to understand like what's the the secret source bit behind that and i'm wondering part of it is probably like trust and the strength of relationships right i get a sense that you you really really connected the three of you and sarah i can see you're desperately waving at me because you you you, you want to answer I think it, you know, a huge part of it is respect for our strengths, each other's strengths and what we bring and what we do and how we work and the benefit of that experience. We've got different experience, as I said earlier, from different agencies and you have to be open to that because if you're just going to, you know, be very single-minded, that isn't going to be for the benefit going forward. So I think, yeah, it comes for me, it comes down to respect and openness and definitely trust too. We never sat down and wrote this structure down. We never sat down and wrote, this is the plan. We're going to do this. Coming off this idea of wanting to do something in a way that was not the things that we'd seen before that had worked in a way that we felt were either unjust or too abrasive. And because we all shared that, there's almost an unwritten constitution that meant that there was a mutual trust because that's what we're like. But we never said we're all about mutual trust because mm. if you mutual trust is already there, you don't have to say it. It's, it's something it's innate and you feel it. So without it sounding too hippy dippy, it has always been that way. And it happened very naturally, very organically. It's almost like when you're a kid, you look at your parents and you think, well, I'm going, when I'm a parent, I'm going to take those bits that were really good, but I'm not doing those bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we've done that because we've got experience and we've worked in different places and we've seen different ways of doing it. I've definitely taken things out that are good from people I've met, but I think when it comes to a personality thing, it's very, very important to us that it functions that way. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Paul. I think without bad leadership there can be no no great leadership in some ways because I think I I've certainly learned some of my best lessons in leadership from seeing elements of other 
boss's behavior in the past that, that I really didn't want to replicate myself and from getting it wrong myself. Right. And kind of we, that we then try and strive away from that and not not make those same mistakes or copy those traits or repeat those traits. Exactly. Yeah. It does feel very healthy, I think, that, you know, the discussions that we have, the management meetings that we get to and the decisions that we have to make, it does feel that we have a healthy debate. And if there is something that has got a split opinion, it's really important for that person who's sitting really in the middle uh, across those discussions to have that, you know, ultimately, they're going to have that casting vote. I personally feel that, that is the best way to, to to move the business on. And I think everyone is very respectful of that is that that's the decision that we've we've come to let's move on to the next thing that we need to work through and yeah it just feels it feels for us it feels healthy to have that debate but also to have that that we can lean on each other to to make those decisions and and get to the end i think that's really interesting as well because probably one of the most widely read most quoted books on team dynamics is probably Patrick Lencioni's The Five Dysfunctions of a, of a Team. I don't know if either of the three of you have ever read it, but he has this beautiful pyramid. He says, well, what are the things that get in the way of great teams? Kind of at the, at the base is a, a lack of trust. Kind of tick for you guys. Sounds like you got that one nailed, i.e. the opposite of it. Um, next layer up, he talks about a fear of conflict and thinking that conflict and debate and robust challenge is a bad thing. But after decades of research, he said actually all of the best teams view kind of healthy conflict or conflict as a good thing because it means you're having those robust conversations around the topics that really matter. And through that, you'll get to better outcomes than perhaps a lone sole MD, CEO or, or partner might, might arrive at. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you guys are living testaments of that that theory and practice. The, the parallel with songwriters is that those songwriting teams never exist in total harmony, pardon the pun, all the way through. It's through their sometimes having differing opinions that something else comes out of it that's better. So we'll, again, naturally embrace the fact that we're not going to agree all the time, but know that that's constructive. It's, it's when people are insecure and, and think, oh, if people don't agree with me, what are they thinking? Yeah. Communal self-belief. So if you can have belief amongst the three of us, then that is self-belief times three. And this was probably never more evident and more beneficial than it during COVID when we actually felt sorry for people who were having to be CEOs on their own through that because we, we everyone knows how difficult it was and the decisions you have to make and the business pressures that you're under and we had three Hmm. to spread the emotional burden as well as the practical one we were yeah Yeah. three three of us went nuts at the same time (laughs) (laughs) that's brilliant (laughs) but you know generally or there'd be you know everyone would be going through their different pain at different times Mm. and there was somebody to or two others to guide you through and to help you with it so it was a real strength in the three of us that we were able to to get through it mm. and it was yeah unprecedented as we all know in the toughest time ever particularly in the history of our agency so yeah I think it was it was good it worked well given the the challenges that were you know business-wise society-wise whatever else was going on in your home life as well you know it was an insane amount yeah insane time yeah if this is even possible I think I'm retrospectively jealous 
So the other question, I guess I probably should have asked at at, at the start, it would be in great context for where we've just been for the last five minutes or so. But how did how did the three of you come together? It sounds like kind of a degree of kind of trust was was already there. So what's the backstory to you coming together as the, the, the managing partners of Free the Birds? Sure. Sarah and I worked at the previous guise of this agency. I'd been there for quite some time and uh, Sarah joined. A succession plan was in place for the agency and we took over the agency. Paul and I were working on a joint project. Uh, Paul was from the advertising world and worked at another agency um, and we were the branding world. And we met through yeah, a mutual client. I think it's also one of the minor miracles of our partnership is that the two disciplines that we both come from are not supposed to talk to each other. Yeah. So this is a clandestine romance that, <laughs> that would be frowned upon by the, the various other... <laughs> other disciplines there are many many books have been written about how to succeed in business but so much of it is down to chemistry and that is essentially what it was built on it was like an instant understanding that's carried on and there is nothing more valuable than that because all the other stuff comes from it the trust and the belief and abilities to make decisions it's all about people isn't it (laughs) so and i hoiked paul over then we set up Free the Birds. Got you. Yeah, the rest is his, is history. You're absolutely right, Paul. I think chemistry is such an important layer to how we win business, how we thrive as an agency, how we build client relationships, how we win pitches. Um, and that is through chemistry, through the three of us, actually, the power of our experiences. And yeah, it's just one of those things that does feel quite magnetic, actually. I think that's like an untangible kind of phrase but i think that is really really important to us as a business yeah and what would you say has been perhaps the most surprising advantage that's come from the structure you operate something that caught you by surprise like oh, i wasn't expecting kind of that that to happen as a result of how we've set up this business covid was a bit of a surprise <laughs> yeah so we hadn't factored that into why having three people would be good but boy did it turn out to be a great advantage a great advantage i think also it's learning from each other as well and you know you never stop learning and learning how we work together you know it's not to say that we were like this in the very beginning i think it's it's something that's gained momentum and has grown as we've grown and yeah always learning and learning from each other and understanding those different perspectives and being open to seeing different perspectives has probably been quite surprising for me, which has been really exciting as well. Yeah. Because you 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 learn so much more about yourself by working with other people too. For sure. Yeah. What about yourself, Nick? Yeah, I think the, I think the surprise for me is how supportive we are actually of each other. And we do really look out for each other. I think running a business, you know, it's not easy I think we all find it quite hard to switch off and to enjoy holidays. And it's such an, it's such an important element. And I think that's probably a common thread in your podcast, Ben, that taking that time to switch off, I think all of us still struggle with that. But my goodness, it really does help knowing that you've got the other two to look out for anything that does come, any troubles that need to be ironed out in that week or two weeks that you're off. 
So I think that that really does help us. So for me, the surprise is really has been that, that more supportive aspect, I think, of the three of us. If you're just not feeling it, we, we're quite protective of each other and we allow each other to have that time to recharge. I think that's a struggle if you're on your own. I think if you are that leader at the head of the ship, you've got to be constantly on it. And we're not always on it. Sometimes we do need that natural break. Sometimes we do need, we're going through different issues. So it is quite refreshing to know that we have each other's backs. Yeah, it it strikes me listening to you talk that that must be a, a major benefit, right? In a more, let's say in a traditional business, even if you are an exceptional leader who has recruited developed coached amazing people around you still when you step away on on holiday trying to fully switch off is is hard right but I guess for you for you guys when you're you're on holiday there's two equal partners who you trust totally bit behind um even if you can't switch off because you love what you do it kind of makes not switching off slightly more relaxing perhaps I think I've probably been the worst offender of not taking holidays but when I did finally realized that I could step outside the airlock and I wouldn't there was a a realization that actually I could turn my phone off I didn't have to look at emails and it would all be fine hence I achieved the degree of relaxation I've probably never known before I got too relaxed we all recognize this and we all know that how important having a break from the agency is and I think that we yeah I think the thing that say to each other before we before that other person's going to go off on holiday is please just switch it all off i think if you leave those emails on you it's a constant buzz on your phone that you're going to start readings you're going to start getting involved in and i think we encourage each other so much to try and switch that off and even if we get a response while one of us is on holiday the feedback is just switch the thing off (laughs) final question before we wrap up with a few of the my favorite quickfire questions if you were setting the agency up again from scratch, still using the same management structure, is there anything you would do do differently? I'm a big believer in you should embrace what's going on around you and let it guide you because everything is not under your control. And, I, and that's why I wouldn't really want to change the way we did it because it was the, the right thing at the time to do it that way and it it just happened and actually looking back on it it was remarkably unplanned it was quite spontaneous and that, and I think that must be a good sign it didn't take months of filling in boxes and looking back on it maybe that's a good portent for the future what we always say to our clients as well we are independent we we decide yeah, we make the rules we you know we can be agile and flexible and I think that is our approach to running the business as well that we are open to exploring different avenues and and different ways. And the fact that we've brought Mm -hmm. advertising and branding together in such a powerful way for our clients with, um, you know, Paul's expertise and Nick's experience and the team and everything is just, I think, really exciting for the future. So I don't think I would do anything differently. I think this is just the beginning. I think the only thing I would say is, I think that the thing that we're not great at is celebrating our successes. And I think we struggle with that so much because we are, you know, we are running an agency. uh, We get that work in and then, of course, you have to deliver that work. And I think just as a natural thing, we've never been great at, at pausing. 
right? And celebrating that. And that's a, I think that's, a, that's something that we're, all three of us are guilty of. I wish we could change that, but it, it's so hard when you are so passionate about not only winning a pitch, then you've got to deliver that pitch. And it's just finding that time, that space to actually just put the pause and just really celebrate it. We are really good at celebrating things, but we're not very good at celebrating accesses. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I think in 20 years doing what I do, I think that's the vast majority of leaders and a big proportion of businesses are exactly the same, right? Absolutely. So I've got a few quick fire questions, which I'd normally get one guest to answer all of them. But as there's three, three of you, three questions, I might just randomly pick a question question per person. So I'm just going to go left to right as I see you. So Nick, you're on the left of my screen. So other than your smartphone, what is one item that if it were lost, stolen or broken, you'd immediately go and replace? If it wasn't my iPhone, it would be my notepad. Cool. I've got to write things down. <laughs> I've got to keep note of things. And my memory's like a sieve, so I have to I have to take notes. And also just to doodle ideas. Cool. Are you a... Uh, Stationary fiend, do you have a go-to shop or notepad? All the time. I mean, it, those stationary shops, there's some amazing ones in Covent Garden that you just can spend hours in. Oh, my God, pencil and a sharpener, I'm there. It's surprisingly common, you know, stationary addictions. A lot of people have it. <laughs> I think, yeah, it, it's just incredible. And the, the, those really high-end stationary shops as well, where everything's just laid out beautifully. And, oh, my <laughs> goodness. All those things that you don't think you need, but you end up trying to get. But you always want that. You strive for that perfect writing desk, don't you? You want everything yeah, so yeah, neat yeah. and out. Yeah. Never happens. We're all, a, we're all a sucker for the marketing. <laughs> yeah, you bet. I made you traipse all the way across Paris to this amazing one called Delphonics, which is a Japanese stationery shop and just has the most beautiful and the most expensive equipment ever. Just inks and pens and books and... Talking of books, thank you for the lead-in. Paul, what would you say is the one book that has had the greatest impact on you or a book that you frequently find yourself recommending to other people? Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake. Right. It's an astonishing book. I mean, it's fascinating. I think there's so much we can learn from it. It's a book about fungi. But when you realise what is actually happening under the ground and how within a situation and, and I do this you know you walk through the you walk into the woods of the trees and we did not realize that it's known as the wood wide web which is and this is a lesson I think for all of us without getting too heavy at this time that how mutually dependent everybody is all the all the different organisms are and here's a tree that might be over here that's sick and through this wonderful interweaving underground network nutrients are sent to that tree almost instinctively i can't do justice to the book it's just everyone should go and read it it will change the way you look at the world where we find ourselves at the moment which is a particularly profound moment in time we can learn so much from what we think are the tiniest insignificant and rather rudimentary bits of nature and yet they are magical and phenomenal and capable of things that we didn't even dream about and as much as we're going to try and discover and explore new digital worlds 
we could spend the rest of our time just trying to explore the one we've got. Yeah. (laughs) I think I got you that book for Christmas. I think you did. That's because... There you go. We even understand each other that well. (laughs) We're going to sound so sickening. (laughs) Not only that, but Paul got me for my birthday this amazing notebook, too, which is made from reclaimed wool. Talking about stationery. There we go. We're so interconnected. It's amazing. I shall be uh, ordering that book myself. Sounds sounds incredible. Oh, it is. And Sarah, what do you think are three really important or key characteristics for leaders leading in the world we currently find ourselves in? I think that's a a really interesting question because um, three isn't very many. However, three is obviously a very important number to us. Um, I would say definitely emotional intelligence and self-awareness I think just being able to really understand what's going on around you the subtext of what's going on around you being able to pick up on those nuances from the team your partners and also from your clients and decisiveness as well and not being afraid to make those decisions and being able to do something about it if you need to, you know, I think um, those would probably be my my three. I think the decisiveness one is is really important, interesting, actually. I've, I've definitely noticed a trend in recent years where maybe this is because of a particular line of management theory or thinking that we've kind of all been exposed to. But I think a lot of leaders went very heavy on collaboration, trying to make decisions with their teams via consensus and shied away from making the decision, which is slightly different for you, Free, because you collectively make those those decisions. But I've certainly come across a lot of clients where I've been working with their teams. And one of the requests from these are senior people working to the COMD is, I wish the boss would just make the decision a little bit more. I think we've gone too far away from it and feared saying, Do you know what, guys, this is the call. This is the direction that we're, we're making which probably brings us back to balance, right? I think so much about leadership is is a balance. I often say it's more art than science in some ways, but there does come a point where people do look to the leader sometimes to just make the make the call. I think we have a passionate aversion to committees. Committees achieve nothing. Someone once said that a committee is a cul-de-sac where ideas are lured and quietly strangled. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you do have to. If, that's the point. You're the leader. Dirt is a there's a clue in the title and the balance is to understand like Sarah was saying have that emotional intelligence to pick up what the team is thinking and to understand through empathy what they're trying to get to but ultimately you would be there forever if you had to ask everyone what they thought on every on every issue so it's it's that balance isn't it between listening and leading I think. Nick, Paul, Sarah, Thank you so much for for joining me on the show. Thank you for making the first four-way podcast. I think that went relatively smoothly, all all things being being told. Um, It's been really, really fascinating learning about the the journey, kind of how you set the business up and how it works on on a day-to-day basis. Really unique perspective that um, I'm sure everybody listening will get huge value from. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. 
There you have it, folks. That was episode 103, which was a truly different type of conversation. I certainly enjoyed recording it and the energy that having four of us on the call brought. And I hope you enjoyed listening. Most importantly, though, and as always, I hope there is some learning in there that you can take away and apply. Even if you're not going to shift the management structure of your team, department or business to free equal managing partners or leaders. I think there's so much we can learn from Nick, Paul and Sarah about trust, connection, being on the same wavelength and what that enables us to do in terms of leadership and delivering the results. If you did enjoy this episode, folks, and if you're getting value from the show, please do share it with your friends or colleagues. And do please take a few minutes to rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you happen to be listening. I say it all the time, but it really does make a big difference. And not that many of you do it. But if you could pop over and rate review in the show, I would be incredibly grateful And it does enable us to keep bringing you more and more episodes and growing the show. So that is it for this episode, folks. I will talk to you again very soon. Until then, take care and lead on. 